0: UFO Thinker Podcast Hello, my name's Frank and I'm the host of the UFO Thinker Podcast. I'd always been mildly interested in UFOs, but like many people, the events of 2017 ignited a fire of curiosity for the UFO topic, which has been raging ever since. I wanted to start a podcast, but initially thought, well, I'm not an astrophysicist, I'm not a fighter pilot, and I've never even seen a UFO, I'm just a normal guy who's interested in this mystery, but that's when a light bulb went off. There are so many other people, just like me, who are fascinated with this stuff, so why not start a podcast to talk about it from the ordinary guy's perspective? All the BS stripped away, as a few people have said, and let's see if we can get to the truth in all of this. Thanks to everyone who's been on board with the journey so far. It's been amazing to see so many listeners tuning in. And if you're new here, welcome. You can now support the podcast on Patreon, with tiers starting from £3 per month. The podcast will always be 100% free but supporting the show in this way allows me to devote more time and make the show bigger and better. Higher tiers also include special benefits such as being able to suggest episode topics and get merchandise, and I really truly appreciate every listener whether you support on Patreon or not. So now, with all of that said, let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank and let's get cracking. So this is a bit of a new episode concept for today and the idea behind this is to talk about some quotes from prominent people within the UFO topic, you know, bombshell lines that have been delivered in interviews or, you know, in, in in a media outlet or a YouTube video or whatever it might be and do a bit of speculation, a bit of informed speculation as to what might have actually been behind that particular quote so with that said let's get into the actual episode itself so joining me for this five quotes episode is dave smethurst making a return appearance how's it going dave
1: i'm all right frank how about you mate you all right
0: yeah not so bad just enjoying this nice bit of spring sunshine that we're having today for a change it's been raining non-stop so it's nice to be see a bit of sun you know yeah, I've
1: got yeah, a sun here in Manchester as well. I mean, we're in the similar neck of the woods though, aren't we, I suppose. So the sun sometimes shines on both of us at the same time. So
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. So first off, before we get into the actual quotes and that that we're going to talk about today, uh, what have you been up to, Dave? Anything exciting been going on? Well,
1: I have been busy at work, but funnily enough, I've had a lot. I have had a lot going on, really, because since we talked, remember I said I was going to get more involved and be doing stuff. I've been doing quite a bit still with Chris Sharp. I'd sometimes, I mean, Chris does all this work. Like He sometimes sends me articles. We have a look and talk about stuff. That's been good. I would say to everybody with Chris, keep your eye on Chris, because he has loads of irons in the fire. And he'll probably, I reckon, he'll have a few things coming along soon. So watch his space and uh, obviously support Chris, because we need to, him to keep going in the field. Uh but also in terms of UFO Twitter, I've been doing my normal networking there, sent a few questions into Andy as normal. And thank you for that. I did the Crypto Terrestrial article, so I was really, thanks for telling people about that. And I've had some really good responses on that. And I've been doing a bit of networking on that as well, because I'm going to do a follow-up article. This the idea of the profile of the cryptos, which I won't go, I can go into that in another time. But I think it might be useful for people doing multi-phenomena research, like at Skinwalker or something. There's a profile that I saw in a book by Ryan Musgrave Evans about crypto-terrestrials that I thought might apply. So I've been trying to network with researchers there, generally networking in the North Lancashire, and just doing a bit a bit of stuff, a few projects as well. So uh, really good, you know. I've been doing a lot, getting some more, getting cracking, Frank, as they would say.
0: <laughs> That's it, that's what it's all about, and uh, yeah, and obviously we've been doing a bit of uh, a yeah. bit of collaborating behind the scenes as well, kind of uh, talking about various different points and kind of working on some some fire requests, as uh, some of the listeners may see me me posting about on Twitter, so uh, yeah, we'll see what comes of all that, eh?
1: Yeah, it's fantastic, it's really good, I felt really energised when we were doing that as well. Uh, it just feels good to be doing something, and particularly, it's a bit in Britain as well, where you know that there's such a lot you know a slow response from the government and it's very different to the states it just feels good to be doing a bit on that front as well you know
0: absolutely yeah i'm not not sort of um, expecting anything particularly mind blowing to start with but it's all about <laughs> no. just getting the the ball rolling isn't it and absolutely. getting a feel for the process and yeah. we'll see what they come back with so let's get get cracking with these uh, these quotes then so first quote is from dr gary nolan And uh, Dr. Gary Nolan is a professor in the Department of Pathology at Stanford University School of Medicine. Uh, Dr. Nolan is is literally one of the top scientists in the world looking at cancer research and uh, also happens to have an interest in, in UFOs and particularly the rigorous scientific analysis of the materials from alleged UFO crashes or, in some cases, deposits that are dropped from UFOs. Now, various samples of material have been collected, uh, including uh, intact, curved, shaped samples, and in some cases, the the more molten form of of metal that apparently has dropped out of uh, UFOs. Uh, For example, the Council Bluffs material that uh, Gary Nolan did a a collaborative paper with Jacques Vallée talking about that particular material or even from uh, an exploding UFO, as in uh, uber Brazil. Uh, so the following quote seems to be referring to the, the molten type uh, of uh, deposit dropped from a UFO. So here's the quote. Quote, if I were to speculate from the science fiction standpoint, I might say that the materials that we see ejected are a form of exhaust from an engine that says, I don't need this anymore. I've used it. I've used it for what it's good for. I'm going to get rid of it. Maybe think of it as a fuel, unquote. So that's the quote, Dave. What are your thoughts on that one?
1: Yeah, I found that really interesting because I've seen a load of pictures, one in Chile, some from Afghanistan, all over. And you often see either in infrared or normal where you've got the mainly infrared, where you've got the craft and they've got this little dump, or whatever, little globs coming off them. And sometimes you see them in colour. And I often thought, God, it looks like some sinister seeding. I hope that's not going on. But that dumping explanation makes a lot of sense to me. If you've got some fuel or whatever, then they could well be dumping it off at that time and it's a byproduct of the actual the actual the actual production, you know, the engine's propulsion system effectively. What was fascinating about it as well was the he mentioned the different isotope levels and that you have normal isotope levels on Earth, but these were different, and they must have been manufactured, therefore. So that was really interesting to me, that, because if they were, uh, so, say it was from the Earth or the solar system, the normal isotopes, it seemed to imply they'd actually been changed. So they're not natural, they'd actually been changed, which would imply maybe they're from our solar system, which might imply that they're actually from the Earth or around that and have been manufactured on Earth, but maybe not by any known sieve. But it might not be as simple as that it could be anyone's i remember listening to bob lazar and he said or watching a video and he said element 115 was stable because it came from a i mean we know it could all be just cobblers this but but let's just assume for the moment it's real uh element 115 was stable because it come from a binary system i.e the isotope was stable there at 1115 so that's why it was kept going so that put me in mind of that. I thought I was quite an. I made me think, make that connection. Then we had Hal put off with his uh, twenty layers of bismuth. He talked about that, didn't he? That was like at the atomic level that was letting it form the waveguide. In other words, it was non-conductive, or it was it stopped. You know, once conductive electricity, and so any field would flow around it. And if you think about the stuff Pai said, for instance, he was talking about the anti-grav field of these craft. So you have this non-conductive material, but but would uh, mean that the field would go around the craft. So I could see how that would work. So we've either got a fuel, I thought, which was good, or maybe a burned-off byproduct of the, uh, you know, of the flying process or the propulsion process. But uh, I didn't think it was unimaginable tech. Uh, You know, it wasn't so like you've been talking about recently. It's not something you couldn't imagine at all, although, what do I know? And so that could imply it was manufactured on Earth by a sister, civ, a, a sister civilization. So I thought there was a load in that, and it really got me thinking, as you can tell. So that, that's what I thought about that. That will particularly.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you mention about the, uh, the isotopic ratios, because I think um, the point that, that Gary Nolan has been making regarding those ratios is that, well, a couple of things really. So the ratios could be done like we could on earth manipulate these metals to have these particular isotopic ratios but the thing that i found really interesting is that the processes that it would take to actually be able to achieve these particular isotopic ratios are so expensive to even create very very tiny amounts of, of you know the metals with these ratios and um, that it's it seems very unlikely that somebody would be going to that length. You'd have to invest millions, you know, to create the quantity of material that's actually been found. Um, I suppose you can't rule out the possibility of some kind of natural process having created that, but it seems, you know, it's, it's, whatever it is, it's very bizarre. And it, 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 the, yeah. the question really is how and, and why have, have these materials just turned up with these very unusual ratios? And the other thing that's, that's really interesting is they seem to be, Mixed together in a weird way. Uh, Gary Nolan has described it as as if, as if you were to get, um, you know, uh, vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, and then just kind of loosely stir it together a little bit, but not fully mix it together. So some parts of the material have got just a regular isotopic ratio that you'd expect, and some of them have got the the very unusual isotopic ratio that that you wouldn't expect. So that could give a bit of insight into the potential processes involved uh, with, you know, what, how, how the material has ended up uh, appearing sort of thing. Um, but yeah, another thing about the the fuel thing that, that Gary Nolan uh, sort of speculates about there, and it's important to remember, I think, as well, that he does clearly state that it is speculation. We can't just assume that because he said it, that it's definitely fuel or whatever. It is speculation. But just to speculate on that a bit further, I've, I've wondered, like you mentioned, about that Pais effect. Um, it's, you know, Not just Salvatore Pais, but various other scientists as well have speculated about this pocket of space-time or a void in space-time being created so that a, a craft can potentially operate within that pocket and then therefore no longer being bound by the, the laws of physics. And that would explain the, the sort of physics-defying manoeuvres of the Tic Tac and, you know, other various UAP. And um, Salvatore Pace actually mentioned recently on the Theories of Everything podcast, I know we've been talking about behind the scenes, uh, about this kind of cavity being created around a craft with potentially like plasma circulating inside with a certain resonant frequency and spin applied uh, with a pulsed current running through it, which could theoretically kind of create that effect and allow the craft then to operate within that void. Um, So I wonder if perhaps that molten metal could be used, say like a particular isotopic ratio of a certain type of of molten metal uh, or maybe you know plasma is used but the molten metal could be potentially used for fuel like Gary owen speculated or perhaps even cooling you know it occurred to me that maybe there's an element of like a cooling system used that uses actual molten metal to cool the craft i mean who knows at the end of the day but it's interesting to ponder so do you have any additional thoughts on that
1: yeah, but it, you're right because if you look at a lot of the, well, you're right about the anti anti-grad that seems to be what people are saying in terms of the fields and all the rest of it, but if you look at a lot of accounts, there's a lot, it creates a very hot reaction with the air, the actual field, and mm. you could see, I thought there might be a bit of a burning thing. I also thought, oh well, this is unlikely, because I think it might be more like a mercury or something like that, but I also think it might even be this forms part of the plaster or plasma or a, a byproduct of the plasma and that's coming out, but uh that thing about that piece where, where he was talking about having yeah basically had two concentric sort of electromagnetic fields with a resist you know with a non-conductive material between them i could see how that would gradually go down over time and all the rest of it so no i think you're right there frank i think it was definitely a good connection and having gary nolan involved he's so good you know and he's uh he he's, explains it very well he no drama with him and he, he seems to play it just right so I really like listening to him and I think he's really good to have somebody of his calibre involved and I suspect he's more involved listening to Lou's comments recently on the show that we both on than we probably think. You know what I mean? He obviously seems to be the go-to guy for a lot of things over the last decade, I suspect
0: yeah absolutely sounds like they've got a few new bits in the pipeline as well doesn't it from what uh, they were talking yeah. about on that that particular podcast and um by the way just in case anybody um wonders what we're talking about with the um salvatore pais thing um he was on uh the theories of everything podcast with um kurt jaimungal very recently and uh everybody anybody's interested in the science aspects there that we talked about and he goes into great detail some <laughs> of its way some of its way yeah. over my head but way I'm over my head Frank. I've managed to sort of get my head around it just about, I think. And uh, he's actually due for um, a part two as well, I think, where they're going into a bit more of the specifics about how that, you know, the patents yeah. that he, that he had actually filed uh, could be used and all the rest of it. So definitely worth checking that out as well. If anyone uh, is, is interested in in that side of things. So, so any additional thoughts on on that then, Dave, before we no, crack I on think, with the next quote? I, I think that's it. Franco, will be here all day. I'll be going
1: on off forever. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> that's fine. Yeah, no, I'm fine. That's that. it.
0: That's yeah, fine. and uh, do you know, I can't remember if we decided an order for these quotes or not, so I hope well, you, uh, you do no,
1: want... I, you've certainly chosen it now, so we're going with it, are <laughs> <ourselves.
0: laughs> <laughs> It just so happens to be the order that they've popped up on my notes on the screen, so, yeah, we'll be all right. We'll figure it no, out. No, it's way, fine. Really. It's no
1: problem. It's no problem.
0: So this next one is uh, well, I don't really need to give this person any introduction. It's the former U.S. President Barack Obama, um, and uh, I'm just going to play the audio for this clip so that people can hear it uh, from from uh, him, the man himself. So here we go. The, tr- the truth
1: is that when I came into office, I asked, right? I, I was like, "All right, you know, is there the lab somewhere where we're keeping the uh, <laughs> alien specimens in <laughs> space?" Um, and uh uh you know they did a little bit of research and uh, uh the answer was no uh, uh, um but what what is true uh, and I'm, I'm actually being serious here is is that uh there are uh there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are we can't explain uh how they moved, their trajectory. Uh, they, they did not have um, an easily explainable pattern. And
0: So there you go. It's, it's more of a, a clip, that really, I suppose, rather than a, a quote of one particular line. But um, a lot of interesting things in there. What, what are your thoughts on all of that then, Dave?
1: Well, it was interesting because obama has got a real good track record of saying really ambiguous, seemingly funny things but could also have a double meaning. And everybody sort of pondered that in the UFO community. But this was a bit of a step change because he actually said something. And when I heard this, I remember it. But I didn't watch it at the time, obviously, but I heard it very soon afterwards. And I was amazed he said it because objects in the sky, we've observed them. We can't explain how they move, the trajectory. Absolutely amazing, somebody like him. Sober, former US president, big thinker actually said we've got footage of the craft, and it's beyond our scientists understanding and the first thing i thought was why is everybody not all over this i couldn't understand it really and it i think everybody was a bit shocked so you know so that was a for me a major thing and it sort of seeped in and if you think about it, it's not the first time you had john radcliffe i think he was a former assistant director of intelligence for trump on fox news he said there's been loads more sightings have been made public, they're making things that we can't replicate, technology we don't understand uh, we saw them all over the world and if you remember that woman on Fox News, there was a jaw was sort of open at the end of him saying that and then you have John Brennan the ex-CIA director who said the videos are quite eyebrow raising and then said there could be life other life on the planet and he quickly corrected himself and said the universe so and he implied, I don't want to go into the whole thing but he, he basically implied He'd seen a lot of things and the life could even be, you know, maybe alongside us, you know, Uh, but he then corrected himself. Rubio, Matt Romney, Warner, Bill Nelson, they've all said loads of things. So we're in a position where you've got the president and other senior figures are admitting the craft. They're under intelligent control. They define the laws of physics. Uh, They're not adversarial tech. So I think, uh, you know, what what is what is the press doing really? I mean, it just seemed amazing. It was like disclosure, effectively, which I'll talk about in a minute. But uh, it was like disclosure, but nobody actually said anything. Anyway, I don't know what you thought, Frank.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's a good good point how he dresses things up, kind of uh, you know, a bit jokingly. I think it's quite intriguing how Obama's has that way of being able to say things with that jokey manner. And sort of, I mean, you could interpret that as it manages to hide some potentially pretty big revelations in, in plain sight. You know, it's, it's funny how the context of how something is presented as well changes, like, the perceived meaning. You know, like, for example, if you take away the laughter in that clip and you just read the actual quote of what Obama actually said, it comes across very differently, doesn't it? And it's like, depends, you know, how much you take seriously of the exact parts of what he said there but essentially he's admitting on public television in front of millions of people that he has asked questions about this when he was in power yeah. and he, you know he was the president of the most powerful country in the world the, the leader of the free world as they say you know and he's admitting that he's asked these questions and he didn't find any answers now that shows you that you know people high up in in the, the u.s government and probably elsewhere taking this seriously you know seriously enough to ask the question at least and the part where obama says you know i'm actually being serious here there's footage and records of objects in the sky that we don't know exactly what they are it really is confirming that there is something to this ufo phenomenon you know no question in my opinion that that he thinks that or he wouldn't have said it in 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 that way and also if you want to speculate a bit further there's also the way of looking at it where you know as many people have suggested there might exist a super secret organization to control all the information around ufos and what's known about it that maybe even presidents aren't read into and and that would explain that you know he he asked about labs and craft and bodies etc as he mentions in the clip there and he was told that the answer was no now obviously it's a bit more far-fetched this but it's interesting to consider was Obama actually hiding a pretty big revelation there in plain sight dressed up with that jokey manner, you know, and again, it's open to interpretation, but, you know, potentially that's what he was getting at there. That's kind of what I think when I, when I hear that clip, you know, he he'd asked a question, but he was told that there was nothing going on, but maybe that suggests that, you know, there was more to it behind the scenes that he wasn't able to get access to. And, uh, yeah, what, have you got any additional thoughts on, yeah, on all that?
1: I, I, y- yeah, I mean, I mean, y- y- you're right there, and you wonder what prompted him. If you remember, he said it in the run-up to the report coming out, you know, the the IAA report on the June 21st, anyway, the big one. He said it on the run-up to that, and there's a lot of stuff flying around there, and you wonder what had prompted that. And I thought there was a bit of a disclosure war maybe going on behind the scenes. So... If you think about the disclosure issue the government have got, or the, whoever has got this problem, how do they admit the UF, UFO existence uh, when they've denied it for so long because they've got the problem of embarrassment, legal action, public being annoyed, public panicking? Apart from all the other issues, we speculate deeper, darker reasons. So we've sort of observed, haven't we, this slow sort of release of information, of partial information with different people, like some of the people I was quoting before, and no one person ever lays it out from the podium. Uh, so you're sort of seeing this effective disclosure going on in piecemeal. This sort of speeded up. There was clearly, I thought, factions fighting just before the report came out. Because it was my impression, I don't know, no evidence, Lou and Chris and all the rest of it, were really trying to hold the feet to the fire of the people doing this report. Uh, and I think there was some pressure. So that it actually said something, and you don't know what would have been said if they hadn't do that. And clearly, the Gillibrand Gillibrand amendment is what's come out of that, and it's been designed to break that log, log log jam. But I just would make one prediction: in the in the run up to the October report, I think we'll see a lot more stuff coming out, and maybe more. But anyway, the point being, Obama seemed to step it up and sort of topped off all this speculation that had been building. You know.
0: Hmm it's a difficult one though as well isn't it because i'm i'm aware of this the way that i look at this having an interest in this topic and you know especially getting deeper into the topic you know is there a danger of reading a bit too much into what he's saying because like i say some of the some of the slightly more far-fetched stuff i was saying there, maybe it was just a jokey comment you know the maybe that first part about asking the question and being told no (laughs) was just a jokey comment which was designed to to set up the, the following statement, which is to say that there are things that are unexplained in the sky. Because that is a bombshell in and of yeah. itself, really, isn't it? Even if he wasn't getting out some kind of shadowy organisation in the first bit of it. And there's definitely nothing really firm to suggest that that's, that's what he meant, sort of thing. But it does make me uh, wonder. I was talking about this with, with Ross Coltart when I had him on the show, uh, as you know. um, you know, to what extent various different presidents have actually been able to find out about this stuff? Because it's, I mean, it's kind of fairly obvious at this point that people are asking the question. I mean, Obama's kind of jokingly said there that, that he's asked the question and and that kind of thing. So it does make you wonder, doesn't it? Like the, very, the recent presidents like, say, Trump and Obama, you know, and Biden now, for example, I wonder how much each of these presidents has actually been able to find out about this stuff and to what extent they've actually tried to look into it as well. What do you reckon about all that?
1: Well, I mean, there's a big long record in the God to think of it. Now uh, you had, uh, there's rumours, about Roosevelt, actually there was something come down in the thirties, forties. Uh, uh, he mentioned something called wondrous things in a panel letter. Uh, you've got, what's his name? Truman. He even had to deal with a big UFO flap and Roswell. And the rumour is that he set up a lot of the secrecy around this at that point. We then moved on to uh, Eisenhower, who allegedly had contact himself and, and allowed the UFO secrecy to continue. And people, I don't believe, I'm not, the jury's totally out of what Eisenhower did. But then it moved on into the, uh, with Kennedy, who apparently wanted to dis- disclose more. Uh, that, and some people think that was part of the reason he was assassinated, which again, is total speculation johnson who didn't really want to know and just played it straight uh going on to uh who was it next reagan who we know he made a few interesting i missed a couple out there but reagan who made a carter sorry who uh, then said he saw one and tried to get disclosure and he told him to go away effectively reagan who was briefed and you know made a few references who partly was well into it and people say star wars were connected to that right up to then bush who apparently knew all the secrets because bush senior was the one who wouldn't let carter jr access to secrets going on to clinton who apparently tried to get access he to, told him to go away and clinton actually said i don't want to end up like uh like kennedy and that was apparently a quote where he made and then going on to the present day i don't know what i don't know what he bothered telling <laughs> did george bush jr anything who knows but uh then you ended up with Obama, who was briefed, then Trump, who God knows what they must have said to him. But there was an interesting quote Richard Dolan always says but uh, Carter, apparently when he received the full briefing a couple of years later, had his head in his hands in tears when he'd heard it, so God knows what that meant. What would make a, a grown man who was president of the US do that? But we don't know if that's true, but I've heard a couple of people relate that. My point is, Frank, sorry to go off on a big bloody tangent there, But I think there's been variable. If they're seen as one of us, as it were, they get briefed in to a certain extent, and some don't get briefed in as much as others. Uh, And and so I think there's been quite a lot of knowledge. I don't know what Biden knows. I suspect he knows a bit, but he doesn't want to know. He'd rather it was left to somebody else to deal with. But the vice president, uh, she's been briefed. She was part of the National Intelligence Committee. So she's seen all the videos. She knows all about it. So I I think they do get a briefing, but it's very much dependent if they perceive to be sound and whatever. I mean, I can't, it looks like they did brief Trump, but God, I wouldn't brief Trump about anything, would you? I mean, so anyway, that's a bit political. But the point is, uh, it's very, very interesting what they know. And I think Obama was seen as sound. They briefed him in in some detail and uh, he, he kept it, you know, kept it quiet very well, but, you know, he's obviously been a reason why he felt he could say that now because uh, that, that was a big change. And so, which tells me there's obviously been some movement behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good point as well. And I've heard a few other people talking about that. Things like um, Donald Trump, obviously being a bit of a loose cannon, you know, whether you like him or you, you hate him, you know, he, he was kind of well known as being a bit of a, a loose cannon in terms of, you know, um, a bit unpredictable. And I, s- I suppose there's an argument that, you know presidents like that would probably be less likely to get read into the full extent of what's really going on just because of that danger of you know like letting something slip or and i I suppose you could say other other presidents potentially who who are more likely to sort of go off script you know in in conferences or tv appearances maybe they're you know less likely to get read into the full extent of it as well i suppose it's, it's all debatable isn't it really depending what your opinion is on you know various presidents but it goes back to that thing that that i've talked about on the podcast recently and we were discussing you know privately as well uh, about that i've kind of invented me little four levels of of in the know uh sort of people you know and uh you've got your your level one is like the average members of the public who, who are not privy to any kind of classified information at all then you've got your level two is kind of the uh, the people in these congressional committees who are actually being able to receive briefings from people like Eric Davis has has done these briefings for these uh, congressional committees, etc. And then one step further than that, you've got people like Lou Elizondo who've actually been actively involved in these programs, specifically looking at this topic. And then potentially even one step further than that, you've got your your level four people. Who would be a very, very small number of people who would know the full extent of of what is really going on here, and within that you can have kind of three point fives and you know on various different denominations, like depending on where you think somebody would fit. So it begs the question: where would you know a president fit within that? And and I'd say they're probably somewhere in the 3.5 region I think even presidents wouldn't be read into the full extent of what's going on the, the big picture they might know a lot more even than people like Lou Elizondo who've run these programs again probably depends on the president you could argue some of them are in that two between the two and three range and some of them are between the three and four range but I think that if, if this stuff really does go on there's this secret secretive organization that knows that the big picture that must be a really really small number of people if that does exist and even presidents probably don't get access to the full extent of that information but again just just my uh, kind of speculation there Have you yeah, got anything I, to add
1: no i really like that frank the more i think about it, it's really useful the 3.5 i found it actually useful when i'm thinking about it so it is actually good to, to do that and uh you don't know where, where a president would be, really. I mean, I reckon some have been maybe 2.5s and some have been 3.5s or some have been maybe 2.2s. Who knows? You know. But it is very useful to, to, to do that. And I suppose it depends what's behind the secrecy. If it's sort of embarrassment, then they probably tell them a bit more. If it's like worries about economic shock, if they reveal the technology, that's another reason. If it's some sort of terrible where they sort of can't do anything, that might be another reason not so depending on what the actual motivation behind the secrecy is, is where the president might be pegged on the list, if you see what I mean, of being told. If it was just embarrassment, I reckon they'd tell him what was going on. But if it was something about a real shocking thing, they might not, you know, or, uh, you know. And if so, yeah, but I think that, that is a really good measure, that but it's just come out of discussion, really, That what you've come up with there. And it helps. Mm-hmm. Put it, I don't know whether it's interesting where they lie, the presidents. I don't know, really
0: yeah it is our guesswork really isn't it in terms of what each individual present has uh, has actually been allowed to 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 know but i mean it's like even if even if there might be people listening to this who are more skeptical in terms of the extent of what is really known by people in in in, you know government intelligence and so on but if you compare it to like say for example the manhattan project and things like that you know the development of like a a super weapon you know that would probably be handled in the same way that's kind of how i rationalize it any kind of super you know world changing technology whether it be a weapon or some kind of propulsion system or something like looking into you know the possibility of extraterrestrial life having come to this planet it would be kept locked up under really really tight lock and key and i would I would assume that something of that level might not even make its way to the presidency no but mm. anyway before we move on anything else you want to add for, on that no, side of things
1: No, i just remember when frank said frank milburn said about uh it'd be that dangerous you'd have to really keep a lid on it like nuclear power or whatever and that's always stuck me as well you know, i remember him thinking yeah it's such a tricky one so that's not quite related but it's a big reason to keep it quiet because if anybody got hold of that it could blow half the planet up couldn't it you know the power and stuff you know
0: oh absolutely whatever. yeah that's it i mean it's it It all depends like i say on the, the actual president you know like if you've got a president who's a, a businessman like donald trump i mean just taking his kind of like his uh is the fact that he's a bit of a loose cannon or whatever If if you let somebody in on a secret that could potentially be you know, the the biggest new technology ever to be released, and that person is an entrepreneur, they're probably going to be more likely to want to exploit that and make money off it when they come out of office. Whereas somebody who's got no interest in doing that, you know what I mean? Every every president's got their own specific uh, sort of like situation, haven't they? So that would affect like what they get read into, I would imagine. Yeah, but anyway absolutely. Tom DeLonge is going to be the next one then. So Tom DeLonge is quite a short and snappy one here, which I'm just going to read out which is uh, actually something he posted on twitter if i'm not mistaken is that right yeah yeah
1: yeah it's just a shock thing on twitter I, think, I remember
0: and he and he says quote why do ufos love our oceans maybe that's one of the places they reside dot 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 unquote so what do you reckon that's all about dave
1: yeah well i mean we know all about usos in the ocean but i think in answer to a question in that recent one you told me about the Fresh fresher interview he said the UFOs are coming, uh they're not from the ocean, but they're coming. I said, I don't think they come from there, but they are from there. And as as far as being seen exiting and entering the ocean, absolutely. And he spoke, he spoke, said he spoke to somebody in the military about they've been detecting them for years, you know, decades working on undersea. So the issue of them coming from the ocean seems to be very clear. And it's interesting, he said. He thinks they might be based there, but they're not, they're not but from the sea. They're not some sea based civilization. Then we got that French intelligence guy who was saying he detected the craft doing the speed of sound underwater, which I know you went on one of your shows. And I remember thinking about that as you were talking about it. I thought, my God, that is incredible. I mean, we know what it's like traveling on water. If you're doing 30 knots on a fast boat on water, it feels like you're doing about 200 miles an hour. So, God, imagine an underwater submarine doing that. It's just incredible. I read a really interesting book uh, called Russia's USO Secrets by, uh, I forget the guy's name now. Uh, anyway, I'll cut you, come back to me in a minute. Yeah, Paul Stonehill. And uh, that was all, and it's a big book about that, but it goes, the Russian Navy, the submarine, has been picking him up for years. They said they have a clicking. they call them frogs or something like a Russian for frog, but they make this chirping sound. So they've been picking him up all over the oceans, uh, even in the lakes as well. There's stuff around in the lakes. So that's a big thing with the Russians as well. So the sort of tales, essentially. I mean, I, I remember I asked, there was a, on that UFO podcast, there was a round table with Sean, uh, with Sean Cahill. And I asked him just cheekily, really, if he thought there was a base under the Catalina Islands. And he said, pretty unequivocally, he said, uh, yeah, there is. And, uh, uh, oh, no, he didn't say, yeah, there is, Dave. And he said, yeah, I think there is on balance of probabilities. There's a good chance there is, so I think there's a there's a lot of potential. There is a lot of evidence of bases under under not just Catalina Islands, under other ones in Japan. There's been reports of craft coming out of uh, volcanoes in remote areas. So it may well be that they're not living in the oceans; they're living underground and just exiting through the oceans or exiting through other places that are easy to do. So I, I think that's uh, Anyway, there have been tales of them all over the world and the point for me is it points to a big sort of hidden infrastructure around the world in remote areas, lakes, under the sea but does point to some sort of permanent civilization. Is it alien? Is it alien permanent, non-human civilization? Is it a sister civilization? What is it? And uh, there's obviously a big historical record of things coming from the sea and it's been a a long time, but I suppose the bottom line is there's a lot of activity under the oceans from an unknown tech and and with potentially basis. So it's absolutely jaw dropping again. Uh, and well, it'll lead on to the topic we we'll talk about next as well. But uh, for me, it's it's that whole quote that Tom says. There's all that behind it that we've picked up for years. And this infrastructure question was was really interesting because it's the one thing I do think. There's evidence of it. You can speculate a lot of things. There seems to be some kind of infrastructure of whatever it is.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, something I kind of to and fro on this particular point. I think yeah, the most yeah. important thing about stuff coming out of the oceans is this. These kind of things are ones where the actual data, like you know, having access to sensor data and that kind of thing, would be absolutely massive. You know, because you'd be able to actually, you could determine quite a lot, couldn't you, from like knowing if there's certain spots in there we know there are hot spots but if you could actually access the data and really plot it on a map and see right there's obviously something in that area there's obviously something in that area and the, also the um things like the the speed that you mentioned i was talking about the the underwater speed of of objects and you know that kind of thing if you could like measure the speed of something as it was going along through the air and then you had the sensor data to actually then measure the speed of it once it went under the water. If you could determine that that is going at the same speed in the air as it it then goes underwater, you can pretty much conclude that that is some kind of propulsion system that defies physics as we know it. Because if there's even a tiny bit of a slowdown as it goes through the air and then hits the water and carries on underneath the water, even if it slows down a little bit, then the actual you know the friction of, of the water as you hit the water and, and then traveling through the water it would affect the actual speed so it, it, things like that is where the, the actual center data would would be really important but obviously we don't have any of that data that's the, the the conundrum with it isn't it but it's also very interesting you know the way that that ties in to the comments that various people have made about you know the oceans and ufos etc in terms of it's not a, a bad place to hide if, if you want to hide. And the two things that I to and fro on that I mentioned a, a minute ago is, uh, like you said, the possibility of like um, some kind of a, you know, a crypto-terrestrial civilization that, that might exist. If you wanted to exist alongside humans on this planet, going under the ocean or potentially even inside the crust of, of the earth underneath the ocean, it's not a bad place to to. to pick for your base is it you know sort of thing so that that's one way to look at it and again some people would say that's very far-fetched other people say that that's you know quite likely all depends where you sit on the spectrum of that side of things and then the other thing is even if it was completely not related to a, a, a crypto terrestrial civilization if some other life had managed to get here from somewhere else out there in the universe and they go right there's a little blue planet over there. It's clearly got some kind of life that are doing this, that and the other on there. You know, we need to keep tabs on them because that's probably what you do. If you had an advanced civilization, you spot other civilizations on different planets throughout the universe. You would probably want to keep, keep tabs on them and, and keep track of what they were up to. And if that was the case, then building some kind of base under the ocean to house all of your various sensor equipment is going to be a logical place to put it, isn't it? They're not going to, they're not going to put a, you know, a base right floating right over the London or something, are they? They're going to yeah, do it in a place where it's completely hidden. So for me, both of those kind of things make sense to do with the, um you know, the, the under the oceans thing. And I don't, it depends on what day you catch me on as to which one I think's is the more likely, you know, but yeah, what have you got to add to yeah. that?
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. As you're right, actually. I mean, I have just I should have said earlier. I'm wildly speculating about a lot of this stuff. I'm saying it. I don't want to come over as if I'm saying it as fact. I know you weren't saying that, but just for people listening, I won't. I don't think a lot of this is fact. It's just sort of my conclusions. But and I also and I do go on about the crypto stuff because I think it's interesting. But again, I'm not massively. You know, if something comes out to say that's not it, that that's fine. Because I think. It will be equally likely that, as you were saying, it's a great place to hide and it just be a place to put your bases or whatever. It doesn't necessarily prove any sort of crypto stuff. But I also was reminded, it mind was as you were talking something else you'd said on another show about it could be AI as well, which is another interesting thing mm. which goes, flows from the point you were just making, really, about they might have keeping tabs on us, they might be AI, AI from ages ago. And it might be that that we've seen, so it might not be a sieve or something at all. It might be uh, some monitoring system, a bit like you were talking about. So it, it is very interesting, but there's certainly something going on But they're certainly detecting and that people are seeing. I mean, apparently Christopher Columbus saw some lights over the ocean. That's recorded in his uh, diaries or whatever they call them, the logs, ships' logs. One of the ships saw that, and so coming in and or oh, whatever, certainly flying above the ocean. I think they were moving as well. Uh, maybe in and out. I can't quite remember that. But anyway, the point is it's a historical thing that has been seen for a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's those, those two sort of scenarios that we're, we're talking about there. It's worth pointing out. It could actually be neither of them things, yeah, yeah. you know, or it could actually be both of those things as well, you know, and, and yeah. it could be that there is some kind of, I've talked about this loads on the podcast. I'd be really interested in like ancient civilizations. And obviously we talk about that as well you know, behind the scenes, it could be that, you know, we could be looking at some remnants of an advanced civilization that was here on this planet. And that could have been some kind of, um, you know, civilization that had to go underground, uh, you know, under the sea, perhaps, under the oceans, in order to survive a cataclysm, and then they just stayed there. You know, or it could be this advanced civilization that have placed, like you said, artificial intelligence or some equivalent of, artificial intelligence here on the planet to keep track of us and that, that sort of does make sense in some ways in terms of the way that these things appear over like nuclear facilities and stuff like that it's almost as though they are like gathering information like reconnaissance information and then they might feed that back to a, the, the the civilization that placed them on the planet in the first place and of course there's always the possibility that the civilization that placed them sensors on this planet might not even exist anymore it might have been a million years or two million ten million years ago that the that they found us and well we weren't even here then it was just like you know dinosaurs whatever life there was on the planet at that point and then the civilization that, that placed those sensors have wiped themselves out or cataclysm has hit them you know we, we just don't know but it's all fascinating to consider and it's like anything but I think this this particular point in particular is one where we really need that better data to actually figure it out. And hopefully with the efforts you know underway to increase transparency, et cetera, we might actually get a bit more of that data and that'll certainly shed a lot of light on it, won't it? Absolutely. So any other bits and bobs to add on that side of things? Not only to set people off on the Black Knight
1: satellite, there's always rumours of that satellite that's either from an ancient savar alien that's been floating around the earth for thousands of years picked up in the 30s uh again in the 40 tesla apparently picked it up uh and the idea was it was some sort of old satellite whenever I mean, anybody comes near it. it's it's artificially controlled it's like an ai moves away from craft and all the rest of it so that could be yet another uh, indication but again i'm saying i don't want to be speculating there i am going on about the black knight satellite but very that's very interesting to me i find that intriguing
0: Oh it it is it is definitely fascinating and the fact is obviously this is I suppose what we're doing here is basically talking about things that people have said and then speculating about what they could have meant so I think we're allowed to speculate yeah. today so it's all people all understand that we can speculate freely today on this one. Um but yeah it's funny that you mentioned the the black knight satellite because well lou elizondo didn't mention that in particular but he'd also said on a podcast forget which one now that might have been theories of everything as well um he said if you wanted to um if you wanted to preserve something for a million years where would you put it and i think uh uh, it was kurt Jamungle, yeah it was on the theories of everything podcast he said that you might potentially put it um you know something on the moon or you put it in orbit and obviously the that that might be what the black light black night satellite actually is who knows if if it even is a thing you know it's all a mystery yeah. really but
1: i remember that frank actually that's a really good point now yeah
0: so that that does segue quite nicely into the mm. next one then which is louis luisondo who yes. uh yeah needs no introduction really for anyone who listens to this podcast because i talk about him all the time um but just in case anybody's not aware, Lou had a distinguished career as a senior intelligence official and was program manager/slash director for ATIP, which was essentially the Pentagon's UFO program. And this is another one that I've got as an audio clip. So let's uh, play that.
1: Oh, two, two. To ask the
0: question of whether or not the US government will be looking at, at these type of ways to help ultimately predict UAP activity, I don't think is is uh out of the realm of reality. In fact, everybody now knows we we tried to do that in ATIP and, and I'm not
1: gonna go into detail here right now, but but there were some things that we did that we 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 did for the specific reason of trying to lure these things out. Um and it turns out that, you know, these things could be
0: should be pretty successful if you know what you're doing yeah it gives me chills that one to be honest with you <laughs> it's very intense yeah. that so what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah uh, that was mental i remember on the game when you said on the show i had the same reaction as you frank i thought my god that's absolutely massive But he said that you know but they've been at it so i yeah i thought the same thing and again it wasn't didn't be massively picked up on but I think it does lead on nicely because we've been talking about a well we think there's a presence so the next question is how can you maybe attract them and i think the first question is is there a signal that you can get now we know from lots of reports from uh, various things that we think there's some sort of signature that they have that the military's cracked again decades ago they can track them a frequency and lou mentioned there's a really easy way to detect him which i think and i might be wrong here Uh, because i remember ross went into it a bit with you and your show was this gravity is the gravity detector thing so if you think about earth's got a gravitational field if if the craft are generating their own gravitational field this should be relatively easy ha said Dave, great scientist this should be i think (laughs) (laughs) relatively easy to detect in terms of the gravity you know the gravity wave they're doing so i thought that's what lou might have been driving at but anyway whatever whatever they can detect them. So the big question is, how would you bait them? Now I think that the, the issue is that it's, it's. I can understand that they would track nuclear signals from our ships, our subs, and on our weapons. So I, I can see how that would happen. Uh, so and they might come near because they're attracted to that. It could be an AI scenario where they, they're just going for it, or it could actually be beings because they must be thinking, my God, what's going to happen here? We don't know. I think if it was beings, you might think after the first couple of times they realise that there was just there's no point in tracking them. We'd have to see some other activity. But it would be logical to assume the bait is something to do with nuclear weapons. I know you've talked about that and there could be other I'm just saying that's my assumption. There could be a lot of other things, and I don't know that much about it. But uh it could I think so they might be mimicking the, the nuclear uh, signature. Uh and I also think Given with the Catalina Island talk, my view, and a lot of people have said this and Lou sort of said that's a very good question when asked. But the Nimitz thing might have been part of some sort of baiting exercise, not by everybody. But I think a secret part of that might have well been baiting the UFOs to appear. Because how else would those guys have been able to turn up so quickly to take the bricks and all the other information, knowing what was going to happen? So there's an argument that that was part of a baiting thing, albeit secret. There's an argument that other ships have been doing that as they go through that straight. And so I, I think it's quite interesting. I don't think A-Tip could have organised that, though. They wouldn't have had the authority. you would need some. That would be a 4.0 authority, maybe, Frank, or a 3.8 or something like that. I don't there know. There you go. <laughs> but uh, you, Yeah, you, you need, you'd need the, how useful it is again. But uh, you'd need a bit of a there, But I think A-Tip might have tagged along if something was happening, or they would have done smaller stuff themselves and i think some of that stuff that sean Cale they were doing in the desert and around catalina after lou retired might have been something around that i'm just totally speculating there so yeah i think uh i was mega significant from lou and this whole issue of how the craft are being baited and that he could that they'd actually done that was just mind-blowing i wouldn't they must be pretty confident it's not going to go wrong though because it mustn't be that dangerous because you wouldn't really want to risk it, would you, normally? And talk of them capturing them like Ross said on your show. My God, what an error that would be to, to undertake that. So that there is, they must think the actual baiting the egos isn't that dangerous, but I don't know anyway. So that's my thought. I don't know loads on it, Frank, but it is fascinating, you know
0: yeah it's funny you mentioned that because actually that's one of the things that's made me lean towards these objects you know again there's lots of different objects being reported but you know some of these objects may be AI controlled or some form of of AI because you'd think that patterns would emerge if if you had an inkling that they were AI after a while you might then try to actually Bait them and, and figure out certain capabilities. You know, if, if regular patterns do emerge, and that that would perhaps, you know, if, if you realised they were AI, you might have a bit more of a, a sense of security in terms of doing yeah. it. Because if, like you say, if you thought there were actually beings on board these things, and there were, you know, there, there was any, you know, quite significant imminent danger, you you definitely wouldn't keep doing it, uh, or would you? I mean, I suppose it depends if they feel like they've got some way of of, of uh, actually going into combat with them or something then perhaps that'd be different but yeah and, and exactly like you said about the capturing thing you're definitely going to, not going to be trying to capture something if you think there's a, a desperate danger that, uh, of it fighting back so that that sort of suggests to me again we don't know if that has taken place for sure the, the capturing thing but if you're going to attempt to capture something you'd probably have a good idea that you were going to be able to do that without wiping yourself out wouldn't you so but yeah i'll talk about the baiting stuff in general it's probably be a bit long this but so there's there's been a, a lot of speculation about this UFO baiting or luring, you know, activities having taken place as part of ATIP. And um, Lou Elizondo always refused to comment on it whenever he was asked about it. You know, he just uh, can't talk about it and move on. And this was kind of the first time that Lou had openly stated that these activities actually took place as part of ATIP which is uh, significant you know massively significant in my opinion and there's a there's a bit something about the way that he pauses just before he says that it's been successful that that's the bit that kind of gives me chills kind of thing when i listen to it you know it's like he was thinking should i say it should i not uh, i'm just going to say it <laughs> he says it you know but he also goes on <laughs> to mention in uh, in later interviews that the, the baiting element is something that he's looking to write about in his book so we may find out more about the specifics of it as well when his, his book is released um, but depends obviously what gets cleared for him to actually write about in his book because that has to all be run through the relevant authorities and what have you but you know basically what it is we've now had it confirmed that these activities took place and now kind of like the 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 big questions that it leaves me with are number one, you know, what was the actual bait and methods used to actually lowering these UAP in the first place? And this is kind of what you were talking about a minute ago. And and the options that I see, obviously there may be other options as well, but I think the most likely ones are you know a nuclear material like you said which is obviously there's been a nuclear connection that's been quite obvious you know going back decades and decades so you could be looking at nuclear powered vessels nuclear fuel nuclear weapons themselves potentially and and as you say it's like i don't think i agree with you i don't think atip would have the the authority and the capability to like mobilise an entire carrier strike group to go out to a certain location. Cause the amount of cost <laughs> and organisation that that had involved, I don't think ATIP had that capability, did they? But they may have been aware of training exercises and being allowed to tag along. That's kind of what you were suggesting, isn't it? So who knows? Um, the other option is B, like C5 uh, remote viewing human initiated contact type of processes so again this is a bit more well some people would say this is more far-fetched some people would say that this is the most likely way that they did it it all depends who you ask doesn't it but ce5 and all of the various other things i mentioned there are, uh, are ways that people claim to be able to actually um interact with non-human intelligences using getting yourself into a certain state of mind and, and that kind of thing the very sort of a uh, brief summary of, of it obviously it's a lot more complicated than that but there's the potential that that kind of thing may have been used now did they bring in experts in that area to do that was there actually members of atip that actually were able to do that themselves there's been speculation about that as well we don't know and C, I think the other option is that there might be certain individuals that seem to act as a, a kind of a beacon for these experiences. As uh, Gary Nowen describes it as like some individuals seem like they're almost like a lighthouse in the dark and, you know, UAP experiences seem to kind of gravitate towards certain individuals so if you're able to identify as part of the work that atip did or you know previous programs before atip if you're able to identify certain people like that you might just have to kind of take them out on a certain vehicle or a, a ship or whatever um, to to a certain location and perhaps that in itself uh, just just actually brings about some kind of uh, uap and obviously d is maybe some other method that we don't know about as well or a combination of all of the ones that i just said you know it could be all of those things couldn't it so we just don't know but the other question it kind of uh, leaves me with is how successful were the experiments so are we talking about distant lights in the sky like you see in you know c5 clips and things videos that you see of people online who claim to have had success you are generally talking about orb type of objects in the distance like colored lights or you know yellow orbs and things that move in ways that are not you know generally associated with an aircraft or something so is when lou says that these things were quite successful is he talking about that or is he talking about something much more up close and personal are we talking about like uh, you know a triangle coming out of the ocean like a lot of people have said that this, this video that, that supposedly exists was that you know taken as a result of some UA- ufo baiting who knows so the third thing is what intel was actually gathered because lou says and he, he actually before that clip that i just played he's talking about how gathering intel is very very common Uh, within the military and also within the business world as well you you want to gather as much intelligence as you can about your competitors and so on adversaries so what intelligence was actually gathered because that's pretty much the purpose of doing these baiting experiments you know is there a certain distance that these things react when approached by a jet because you've got to think if they've had success at bringing these things out perhaps they could scramble jets to intercept them and see how they react to the jets stuff like that Um. Is there certain locations that once you get within a certain proximity, this location, like you mentioned about, you know, Catalina Island and stuff like that? Maybe if you get a certain proximity, they show up like clockwork. You know, you could learn a lot, couldn't you? And I think that's that's what Lou's getting at there in terms of the intel that you could actually gather. So yeah, I've rambled on a little bit there, but what 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 are your thoughts on that? Anything to add? <laughs>
1: No, that was really interesting, Frank. And some of the deep dives you've done on the programme have been really good. But I hadn't thought about the intelligence gathering capability. I had sort of, but only after you mentioned it. And that is that is too because it also asked the question, uh, was it a symptom of the conflict between the sort of in the nose who were at the four point whatever level, four point two level, who knew all this already and knew the capabilities and so and the navy who were reputedly really upset they were out of the loop. And maybe we're behind some of the moves to get more secrecy. And they're thinking, right, we'll go and find out ourselves then. And they were the ones doing debating just to find out a bit, a first principle of, you know, prima facie information, you know. So I think just as you were talking, then it made me, I am not thought of that before. It could have well have been a symptom of that. Because if you did know a lot about them, why would you bother doing that? Because it must be to find out when they react, what's the proximity, all the military things, how long does it take from setting off the signal or whatever they do. Uh, you know, to them coming out of the water, how you know all the things you just said. So yeah, it is interesting. And why would you bother doing it? And what would it really tell you? And What you couldn't tell you that much, could it? Unless you had a, like you say, you had maybe some remote viewing thing. And just on the remote viewing thing, remember Lou was very cagey about if he'd ever done remote viewing either. So that might be a interesting link. But again, I'd not thought of. But yeah, and I think it shows the importance of the deep dives you do when you're looking at all these things just to try and do all the different angles because you think, oh, no, no, it can't be that. And then when you think about it, it, could, it brings something else out of the story. So it's well worth asking those questions, I think. So, yeah, I think that's really interesting, that.
0: Mm. Yeah, another thing just to quickly mention as well, before we move on from that, is um, the anti-neutrinos thing as well, which is something that Tim McMillan uh, had mentioned in, in an article um i think he mentioned it first in an article and then he 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 uh he responded to some questions on twitter about it as well and antineutrinos are these um i'm, I'm sure you know already dave but like these tiny little particles which are not visible to the naked eye like um, it's like a like a neutron basically a very very small particle and they can basically travel through solid mass as well which i thought was interesting in itself really with antineutrinos because we hear about you know things being able to travel through solid objects as part of like that slide nine, the A-tip slide and things like that. I wonder if that there's a link there somehow. But anyway, Tim uh, Tim McMillan basically just suggested that there's some kind of link with anti-neutrinos and UFO baiting. And it makes me wonder if uh, initially I was thinking about maybe they can generate anti-neutrinos because anti-neutrinos are, are released by nuclear fuel and processes that involve nuclear fuel and and stuff like that nuclear uh, propulsion on a on a on a vessel might release these anti-neutrinos as well so initially i was thinking maybe the the using that to actually you know bring in the the uap type of thing you know but there there could be a lot of other things as well it's probably more complicated than that i've I've asked a few people i asked ross about anti-neutrinos when he was on the show he hadn't heard of it uh, but he had heard about the nuclear connection, so the anti-neutrinos is still a big mystery. We don't really know exactly what's going on with it, but th- perhaps there is a, a you know a part to play there. And and Tim McMillan is is very bang on a lot of the time. You know his track record is very good. If he mentions something, often you know it's quite significant. So that's something I'm kind of keeping in the back of my mind. I don't really get how it links in with it yet but there we go so i think we'll move on then so another one from lou elizondo and we're just going to finish off on this one and uh this one's got a bit of paraphrasing as it's quite a a long quote in in total and uh, i would definitely recommend actually going to the ufo joe uh, youtube channel to watch the whole interview as it's a really really good one uh ufo joe joe mergia Is one of the most knowledgeable researchers in this topic and for me just gets that balance right in terms of being open-minded but remaining rational and that kind of thing so for that reason it was great to see the questions that he asked lou and Lou's answers to them so here's the quote Uh, cut down a little bit because the actual quotes very very long so quote i'd like to announce there was a significant and i can't overstate significant milestone achieved about a day ago the nim national intelligence manager for aviation under the National Director for Intelligence, a two-star general, needs to be significantly applauded. Never in the history of UAPs have we got to such a significant milestone and it's a step in the right direction for transparency. The result of what was just achieved will result in a trickling down of information to the American public. So when people say, I want to see another video a significant step in that direction has just been taken a couple of days ago unquote so what are your thoughts on on that then dave
1: well i think this is a good one for the listeners to think about as well at the end and maybe send answers on a postcard because it could mean a lot of things really Uh, it's really interesting i mean I, i listened to it a couple of times and it could does it mean that he's obviously spoke to somebody senior up who's in charge of the of, of classification or information coming from the air force or whatever or flying stuff so does it mean that the 25 minute minute video will be released does it mean there's a relaxation of classification on some of the stuff does it mean that luke would put some major revelations in his book that he hadn't been able to uh does it mean that they might put some more stuff in the public report in october or generally or was it around an Air Force release of data? It seems to be something about some relaxation of classification, though. And that was my sense of it. I don't know. But, I mean, you could, could be lonely things, so I'd be really interested to see what people think who are listening to this. I don't know what you thought, Frank, anyway.
0: Yeah, as as you say, I'm I'm going to keep my thoughts on this one quite brief. Uh, really, I think it it basically re- it relates relates to something that we may or may not hear about in the future, doesn't it? So it's quite heavy on speculation with this particular one. But you know, I suppose they all are, as I said earlier. But av- having said that, nothing wrong with a bit of speculation. And like you said, I'd be very interested to hear what the listeners think of that particular quote. What what could Lou be talking about here? And um, the questions it leaves me with is. You know, like you said, possibly a new case or the the, the infamous triangle video, the, the twenty three minute video, um, you know, or is it more of a legislation thing? I think that's for me probably the most likely that's maybe this two star general is saying that they'll you know help help from behind the scenes in terms of pushing for new legislation to increase transparency it, it's the when he says about the trickling down of information to the american public thing for me it suggests more of a, a change in the way that these things are reported with like less classification perhaps like you said um but it sounds exciting anyway uh whatever it is so uh, as dave said anybody that wants to give us a shout and, and let us know uh, your thoughts on that that'd be great to hear some other viewpoints on it as well but have you got any more thoughts on that dave before we wrap up
1: no i think i think we'll leave that hanging frank i think probably people have heard quite enough from me today but uh <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, but i think it's really fascinating you know really fascinating what could you mean?
0: yeah it's a cliffhanger isn't it and um i don't think uh lou's been asked too much about that since so we'll we'll just have to wait and see what he actually uh what he actually comes up with so i think we'll we'll wrap it up there then we've made quite a good time there so thanks a lot for joining yeah. me again for this dave it's uh, been a lot of fun
1: been great friend really enjoyed it great talking to you as always and uh yeah let's keep cracking mate
0: exactly so don't forget to drop me or, or dave a message on twitter um i'll put both of our twitter uh, usernames in the description of the show so drop us a message and let us know your thoughts about any of the quotes really but especially that last one the two-star general because that's quite an intriguing cliffhanger type one and it would be great to see some suggestions of some other quotes you know maybe to do another one of these episodes down the line if you enjoyed it you listeners so let us know if there's any good ones that you can think of and uh, until next time, take it easy, stay curious, and I'll catch you in the next episode. You are so